0: Welcome to Sneaker Dads Presents Wear Everything, I'm John Ratner. We have a special two-part episode for number 50 next week, and this week on Sneaker Dads is equally exciting because we're lucky to have an accomplished industry insider who has a podcast of his own, Sneaker History. Nick Engvall has some very valuable perspective and great stories, so let's get into it. Nick welcome.
1: Hey how's it going John?
0: Good good to see you again I know we did uh, we did an event uh, one of your events uh, a couple months ago it feels like now we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later but it's great to connect with you and I'm sure my my listeners will be uh, will be happy to hear uh, hear more from you.
1: Yeah man awesome t- awesome to, to reconnect and happy to be on the show.
0: Of course, you have your own podcast, we'll talk about that and make sure everyone knows about it, who, who, I don't know how people couldn't, I don't think they do, but I have to start where I always do. Of course, this is a wear everything episode of uh, Sneaker Dads, and um, do you wear everything? Do you have pairs that you, you covet too much? Do you have pairs that don't, uh, don't see the light of day, maybe because they're too old, or do you try to wear everything?
1: Uh, I, I try to wear everything. I have a lot of shoes, though, and that is, you know, th- that makes it challenging. Um, and I also have a lot of shoes that are super important to me and my story and my journey. So those pairs, you know, uh, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, like, I don't, I don't think to wear them. Maybe one day, you know, in 10 years of owning them. I end up putting them on for a day or for, for something. But generally speaking, like, I mean, I'm one of those people that when I get a new pair of shoes, I'm so excited to put it on that it's on my feet within, you know, hours of getting it or, or days of getting it. And if that's not the case, then, you know, it's possible that that be, becomes a shoe that I let go of or you know, I'll trade it to somebody or use it for a giveaway through our our community and all that kind of stuff. So, um, generally speaking, yeah, I try to wear everything and, um, that kind of goes back all the way to like me starting kind of in this whole world of what sneaker media and the journalism side of sneakers became, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, I, I, you know, growing up, I never had all of these shoes. It was like one shoe a year, $30 budget. You know, I didn't get Jordans until I started working at like 14 years old and making my own money and that kind of stuff. So when I started working in the business of sneakers, I felt like because I was putting my name out there and my brand out there, not my brand necessarily, but my name and my kind of, uh, I don't know, authenticity or, or kind of like, like that was my way of, of, you know, if, if I'm writing about shoes, I wanted to go try every shoe I could. And I wanted to wear them. I wanted to, you know, hoop in them, skate in them, running them, whatever I could possibly do to wear these shoes to get to the point where, Hey, my opinion, like the reason you would trust my opinion is because you've already seen me wear hundreds of other shoes to compare and and be able to be that voice in the kind of on the media side of sneakers and, you know, for better or worse, that was a great approach, but it was also like an insane thing because I ended up buying literally hundreds of shoes that I just, you know, I would wear a couple of times here and there. And I kind of go through these stages where I'll, I'll go and just purge a bunch of stuff. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, I like trying everything. I like being able to, to really understand if a new cushioning technology from, you know, let's say Saucony compares to something that we're marketed like Nike, you know, like there's so much, there's so many stories that don't get, you know, the truth doesn't, the truth gets gray over the years with a lot of the stories that are out there. And, and so I always wanted to kind of, you know, kind of be the, be the balance to that and say like, Hey, you know, a $60 pair from the Nike outlet is great for 95% of sneaker heads, right. Or, or whatever that is. But like, also you could get a 50 or $60 pair from Saucony or New Balance or Reebok or Adidas. And, and like, those are great shoes too. You know, they're just different. And, you know, some of them even have better cushioning than what you would get for, for what you pay that, you know, hyped up price. Um, so that kind of is like the, the long winded way of, of answering that question. It kind of, it kind of started as me just being really into sneakers, and then it kind of grew exponentially into wearing all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, and and all sorts, all sorts of just not crazy stuff, right? Just basic stuff. I still love, you know, like really entry level shoes because I think that's the that's the most real connection to the average consumer is like, hey, I was that kid that got thirty dollars to spend on a pair of shoes. So if if you can only get a pair of New Balance five seventy fours because they're on sale, then hey, you can swap the laces and, and you know, make them look fresh and do what you do to make them
0: yours, so. Yeah, my next question leads into that. I I think because some older guys who have been around for a while like to sort of sit on new pairs that just came out and they, they, they know everyone else is going to be wearing or maybe the young people are going to be wearing, but I get the impression that much of your buying And I know maybe you're not trying to buy a lot these days. We'll talk about that too, but what you're buying, maybe isn't necessarily what the masses are buying where you, you talked about entry-level shoes, maybe digging up pairs that are retroing from the past that maybe are sleepers and things like that. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. And I, I,
1: you know, I, I get hooked into, to the new stuff too, just as easily as everybody. Um, It's just that, I mean, thankfully I don't hit on most of the stuff, I guess, like that makes it easy, but um, you know, it, the more personal it is to me, the more the more excited I am about it. You know, I, the, my most kind of recent pickup was the, uh, the Magnus Walker the Shadware dunks, and you know, I'm a huge car guy. I go to Porsche Rennsport every four years. You know, like I, I mean that shoe. Like my, I have pictures of my of my nephew with Magnus at Laguna Seca. Like th- that shoe was like I get chills and goosebumps thinking about it because it was like that's how important that was to me to to see two things that I've been dedicating my life to being a part of now connected in a way that just like, you know, so, so of course I can have that thought of like, well, if I could, if I can get a pair, I would love them, you know? And part of me has that thought of, well, maybe, you know, they're worth money. Right. And like, at the end of the day, I can't, I can't replace the feeling I get wearing those shoes, talking about those shoes with you even if I get 500 bucks for him or a thousand bucks for him. And that sounds maybe uppity, but like, you know, I, I'm not in a place to, to, you know, to have that kind of money laying around the way, you know, I might've been in different times, you know, COVID definitely did a number on what I do for work. Um, But, you know, at the same time, like I'm just in a different space with it than I might've been 15, 20 years ago. Now, as far as the collecting thing, I still, you know, you can see the wall behind me. I still collect a very specific type of thing, you know, groups of things in in terms of sneakers and and everything really. But, um, you know, it's, it's really kind of, it's kind of hard for me to get excited about, you know, let's say uh, a new Jordan retro, that's not a color that I have any connection to, even if it's beautiful. I already have a bunch of Jordan retros that I don't wear enough. And, you know, for me, I'm trying to, I'm kind of at that point where like, I'm scaling back a little bit, I'm trying to kind of, um, you know, kind of kind of reset, I guess. And, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar or you're familiar with um, Foamer Simpson, right? Like he's one of my friends in this industry. And, um, you know, a few years back, he sold almost everything and started over and, and you know, a lot of things behind that, but like you know that's kind of where I feel like I'm at as well it's like okay let's let's try this again and and see what happens because right now, especially like I just don't have the space that you know to keep going the way i I used to, and that becomes more of a burden than you know the joy that I get out of the sneakers
0: yep, I feel a lot the same way, and um I remember when he announced and did a lot of videos and produced a lot of content regarding his selling of shoes. And, you know, when someone like that does it, it's, it's inspiration equally as much as when I see a friend of mine who's trying to buy his first home Yeah, and does it. Um, I don't necessarily have a, a specific target except for maybe putting the money in the bank for my kids. And I talk about doing experiences and spending and having, having money for experiences rather than, um, rather than <laughs> more shoes, uh, but I feel the same way, you know, the Amon Manier 3s, I love them, they're a beautiful shoe, I got a, I have a dead stock pair of 88 3s, it's like, why do I need the Amon Manier 3s, they're beautiful, they'll always be there, they'll always be on Stock X, at least for the next five years, if I really want them, I'll pay up, and if I sell 20, 30, 40, 50 pairs, I'll have the money too, before we get a little bit more, I want to talk a little bit more about your, what you just talked about, but you mentioned that there are some pairs maybe that are you're attached to. I don't know if they're historic, uh, you know, historic significance in your life that are off limits or that you just don't wear that much because I know everyone sort of has that or a lot of people have the sort of, I love this shoe so much I can't wear it. At least it happens once in a while. Is Is there a little yeah. bit of that going on?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, so I would say, you know, just kind of off the top of my head, a handful of shoes that are like to that level of, of importance for me would be, uh, I have my, my favorite pair of shoes ever is a pair of Chuck Taylor's. It was the John Lennon collaboration. Um, there's a lot of personal stuff behind that, but like long story short, like my dad and my uncles were huge Beatles fans, music fans, musicians, all that stuff. And so that shoe, uh, Chuck's to me are, are still like the universal, like conversation starter, right? If, if a sneaker could be, accepted and appreciated by any group of people on the planet that's the shoe right because it's so simple but yet everybody takes it and just touches it a little bit more their own way makes it their own thing and you know maybe it's you know a particular group you know embracing a, a an all black colorway or you know a, a particular style of lacing or whatever that is so that shoe has always kind of been you know top of the list for me as far as importance because it's something you could have a conversation with your kids, your grandkids, your, your friends, your, your grandparents, your great grandparents, you know, like everybody's seen that shoe and it becomes much bigger than the sneaker community in a sense. Um, so that one, uh, you know, I think of like, I recently posted like the, the Nice Kicks Jordan CP32 that most people probably don't even know exist. And, you know, that shoe is a part of my story because I was one of the few people, you know, first employee at Nice Kicks, and one of the few people that got that pair when it came out 10, not when it came out, when Chris Paul gifted it to us 10, 12 years ago, and so, like, I, I want to wear them, but I also don't, I also want people to, like, be able to see them, and, you know, I want to be able to share those things, so it's kind of a, a give and take with with that. I'm always kind of trying to balance whether that's a good choice or not, because I have other shoes, you know, like for me being from Northern California, like uh, being a Giants fans, the Nike talk, uh, you know, Air Max 90 anniversaries, the 10 year anniversaries, you know, it took me, it literally took me years to get that shoe. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't get it, tried to get it when it came out, you know, I wasn't able to, um, and, you know, it just got way too expensive for a number of years. And then I came across a pair that was like, okay, I can afford these. Um, but now it's like, I've worn them, uh, maybe twice, maybe three times in the, in the few years that I've had them, but I'm very cautious with them because that air bubble could go at any moment. And even if, you know, if, if it did, I'm okay with that, you know, like that's a conscious decision. But also, it's going to look much better sitting on a shelf, you know, so people can see it or display it, you know, like, I think we might have talked about this, but I, I kind of always have the the dream of having some form of a museum of sorts, right? Not necessarily like, you know, although I love, you know, what the bottom museum is and, and you know, all of the, the experiences they've created around the world so far with that. I think it needs to be a little bit more nuanced uh, that that, you know you and i could go into a place and be like oh i i know that shoe but i don't know that color i don't know that story right and take it a little bit further but also like make it to where it's inviting to other people because i feel like there's there's just like this really intimidating thing about sneakers right now because you know you have to pay attention to everything in order to feel like you're a part of it for a lot of people and that scares a lot of people away and and i think ultimately that ends up hurting the, the industry as a whole, if people are intimidated to be a part of it. And, you know, if they just default and say, I'm just going to go buy a pair of Doc Martens, that's great. Doc Martens are great, but like, you know, we also want those people to, to, you know, step out of their comfort zone, I guess, and, and buy a weird pair of Jordans or a weird pair of Adidas or something that, something that kind of brings that back to the, the sneaker part of it. Um, because I think all those little places within the industry and the community, are what makes it really enjoyable for the people that get into
0: it that seems like a natural project or branch for sneaker history so uh i hope (laughs) i hope it happens at some point and and we'll talk more about sneaker history is there and i know you're you're maybe in the earlier phases i'm curious do you have an idea I, i won't ask you how many you have unless you want to share but is there is there a growing or short list of pairs like that that are going to stay, or um, not? Yeah. There so,
1: so, <laughs> so t- to be completely honest about it, I don't even know how many pairs I have because I have, you know, essentially uh, two closets full, a room, basically a room, and and a good portion of the garage, um, which is, you know, thankfully like fairly climate controlled. Like I, I, for years, probably for 15 years or more, I had at least one or two storage units. You know, I've moved around a lot. I, I lived in Brooklyn and lived in Boulder, Colorado and Austin, Texas and Detroit. So every time I would move, it would be like, do I move all the stuff? Do I put it in a new storage unit? You know, each time you move that also, if you're not, depending on how, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily hang on to like boxes to make them perfect keep them perfect but also that's because i move so much that you know stuff just gets damaged or you know boxes just don't last 20 30 years so um i I think like i would guess that i'm somewhere in the like thousand to 1500 pairs range um i mean and it it would be like a crazy lofty goal but I would love to be in like the hundred pairs range. I would love to have like one room and one, you know, but then I I start to think about it and it's like, you know, you can see 40 pairs or whatever behind me. There's no way I could even get to that. Like, I just don't even know how it would be possible because I've through the years, I've gotten rid of a lot of the Jordans that I've had and not that I don't love them. I just kind of, if it's a, if it's an original colorway, it's eventually going to come back. So I mean, I, If I really need it at a time, then I'll get it then. It's kind of like you said, like if something's going to sit on StockX and I can get it later, then it's totally okay. Um, But that also is kind of circled back to, well, I got rid of a little too much. And now I'm kind of at this point where I'd love to have like, you know, all the way through 36, but I'd love to have one through 36 and, you know, one pair of each. But I'd love to have a pair that I want to wear too. I think if you asked me five years ago, I would have said, give me the originals of everything and I'll display them on the wall and it'll be the most beautiful thing ever. But now I feel like if it's just going to sit on the shelf, I'd rather have somebody else have it, you know, like, I I mean, I'm, I'm doing my best as far as content to like, start getting to a point where I can share this stuff, but I'm not, you know, I'm not comfortable on camera the way a lot of people are, despite like being kind of a public figure. I was always the person that worked behind those big faces and made things happen. So that's a new, a new thing for me. And it's challenging and it's forcing me to learn, you know, different things. So um, that's part of why the, I don't know if I should call it a purge because that's a little aggressive, but that's kind of what it feels like at this point, but that's kind of why that fits into my, into where I'm at now with sneakers. It's like, okay, I want to get to a point where, you know, I'm not, I'm always going to have some shoes that I just won't wear regularly because like those John Lennon chucks, I won't be able to replace them. The Nike town Air Max nineties, you know, if somebody was, if somebody that worked there at the time reached out and was like, I'd, I'd love to get those because I just didn't get them when I worked at Nike town. Like that'd be a perfect person for me to, to sell those to. And like, I'm not trying to like give away things, but I'm also not trying to like, make a killing off this stuff. I just don't want to play the game of like somebody coming in and trying to lowball me the way that they look at every of uh, everyone else selling. Cause yes, I would love to have the space. I would love to have the money, but it's, it's much different to me than it is for the people that are, that are turning things over on a regular basis. So, um, that's kind of an interesting place to be in, in, you know, seeing the way the market and the way sneakers are now where it's always a conversation piece when you make a purchase, right? It's like, do you wear these? Do you sell them? You know, it's like, if I'm not going to wear them right away, then I should just get rid of them and buy them when I want to wear them,
0: in my opinion. But Absolutely. And I think that's why you need that sort of maybe permanent installation museum or some kind of location. We could put those 100 pairs or probably maybe 200 pairs that are just maybe, you know, sample types, one or rare types, things that have significance that people ask questions can start conversations about other than you know um, a a shoe that maybe everyone knows about and 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 get things going I know personally I I had an idea to do something like that Uh, a couple years back a friend wanted to open a coffee shop and and she said you know bring some sneakers in and I had the idea of having you know my permanent sort of museum pieces you know from my 85s and things like that and I also the other idea would be to go and hunt on eBay and and look for interesting pairs that you don't see very often Uh, it didn't um, it didn't turn out to be um, something that happened doing some other things as you know with uh, with my sort of spare time outside my journalism career I'm also a journalist as well so uh, we'll see maybe maybe down the road that'll happen and will be a solution for some of the pairs I just can't let go of but don't necessarily wear that much um I wanted to ask more about your history how did it all start for you when did you first get into sneakers um I would say the the
1: very kind of first memory that I have is uh you know with my brother probably I was probably eight or nine years old and uh, so this is probably like the Air Max one, the Air Max 90, the air 180s, somewhere in that early era of, of Air Maxes um, or visible sold Air Maxes, I guess I should say. And we would just draw the shoes, you know, we, we never had the money to get the shoes. So we, we would draw them and, you know, like we would get the East Bay catalogs and, you know, we would watch the commercials and, you know here in the States watching WG in Chicago and, you know, the, the Bulls games were always on. So we'd be, you know, recording stuff and playing it back on the VHS to, to try to get better. You know what I mean? We were just obsessed with it. I don't really know where that came from because, you know, I, I guess it would be Jordan and, you know, just the nature of, of the marketing at that time. Um, but that's the earliest memory for me. I mean, I, I, uh, As far as like, you know, personally getting pairs, you know, my first kind of real pair of shoes was, uh, was actually a pair of Adidas forums, like a maroon pair, but it was, uh, my first, like, you know, kind of the pair that I always think about when I think of the first exciting pair was like a pair of, uh, ultra forces from Nike. They didn't have the the air bubble in them, but, um, or the clear air bubble, visible air, but I, I just thought it was cool. Cause I wanted the air and like, you know, eventually like I convinced my, uh, my mom to, to, to just buy me one pair of shoes for two school years. And, you know, that's how I got to the $60 <laughs> price point. Um, and I, you know, I think it's must've been seventh or eighth grade. And I just wore them down to, to nothing. You know, as a kid, you're playing basketball, you're skateboarding, you know, we're, living in Colorado at the time it's I'm in the snow. Like it was just like everything for everything, those shoes were it, right? And I repainted them probably a hundred times. Uh, eventually the air bubbles popped and I tried to fill the air bubbles with hot glue and all that kind of crazy stuff because I had made the deal with my mom to get one pair of shoes and they had the last two years not realizing that I was gonna burn through them in four months because I just had to have them on all the time. Um, so that's kind of the, 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 you know, starting point of my own personal obsession with it too. Um, beyond like, you know, just, just wishful thinking, it became a reality. And, you know, it's no surprise, no matter how far I went from sneakers, I always would, would be looped back to it eventually, you know, in my professional career, even like, you know, going into like communications and sales and all that stuff. It's, it just, it was always something I really loved. And And I think, you know, it wasn't ever like, a, you know, for a long time, it was like, you always wanted to, to have the things that you saw in the catalogs and stuff. But eventually it got to the point where I just, I just love talking to people about sneakers and the, the, you know, that became the, the, the easy way, um, you know, for, for me. And I think that stems from, you know, being my, I went to, you know, K through 12, I went to 13 different schools. So I moved a ton and I went to the same high school for four years. So you can imagine like I moved at least once or twice a year for the first, you know, eight years of school. And as a kid, I hated it, but as an adult, I realized, hey, this this set me up because I have no no hesitation about going someplace new and meeting new people. And, you know, uh, just that that kind of connection to people I think sneakers became the easiest way to do that because you could literally be sitting on the subway in New York and, and, you know, I mean, maybe New York is a little harsher than San Francisco when it comes to telling people you like their kicks, but like, you know, you tell someone that you like their kicks and it starts a conversation. And next thing you know, you, you're, you know, you're friends with people and you're, you're not talking about sneakers at all. You've been friends with them too long to even care about talking about sneakers with them. So. Yeah.
0: And you not sure i think it's probably every every podcast you say you tell your listeners to tell someone you like their kicks today and uh, i follow that one and it's it's amazing how much you know it obviously sneaker has loved to be complimented on their kicks i don't think they get complimented very often if they're in a regular setting if they're at the grocery store so it's kind of like what what oh you're paying attention but the even better ones is when it's a younger person for me personally it's it's a younger person seeing someone who probably shouldn't be talking to my age just just a quick compliment and I keep it moving you know I'm I'm not there to start a conversation about sneakers but um those ones are even more satisfying because it's even more shock and uh you know I don't do it I don't do it just to do it I do it when I see something something uh, I like or or something um Mm -hmm. Um, something that catches my eye, but it's, it's great advice. And and at the same time, it obviously starts those conversations sometimes and, and really, you know, exactly what you're getting at and whether it's in uh, elementary school, you know, trying to fit in or make a friend or, or whatnot, or, or now, you know, a lot of what's been happening in the last couple of years, I think, you know, it may be virtual, but sneakers bringing people together, right. I've made a ton of friends, um, you know, you held, a uh, completely virtual event that had tons of people on it and, and i do want to talk about that but along the lines of your history it sounds like you had a bunch of sneakers before you entered the industry you worked at complex you worked at finish line you worked at stockx was did you go there because you wanted to work in sneakers or did it just sort of happen that way
1: um the it's it's pretty funny story actually so uh i definitely you know, I bought a bunch of sneakers once I started working and, you know, make, making decent money. And, um, it, it, there was definitely times where, you know, I would say like in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands, uh, where, you know, I would have to sell shoes to, to make rent, you know, if, if stuff was going on. So like, I didn't have like a massive collection or anything. I probably had 40 or 50 pairs, which, you know, still a lot of shoes, but, that ebbed and flowed for, you know, a solid 10 years, maybe even 15 years, like through the early 2000s, where it was like, okay, I'm working in, you know, communications, uh, was doing sales for AT&T and doing all these things that I didn't really want to do, but I couldn't find a way into sneakers because I just didn't know that anything existed. Um, So that would, that would, you know, like I had all those shoes, but then I sold a lot of the shoes that, you know, stuff that I I think about now that I would love to have, you know, like original Nike Air Raids, original Bo Jackson trainers and in the infrared, you know, infrared and white colorways, um, a lot of the old skate shoes that I used to have. Like I had a pretty good costume collection before he came to SB. And um, so a lot of that stuff went, unfortunately, just because it was like, you know, part of me making ends meet at the time. As far as the sneaker like the actual, like first time getting paid to do something in sneakers. Um, so I, I, my dad sold products on eBay and taught people how to use eBay in the early years of eBay. And so I was doing that. I was selling car parts. I'm big into Hondas and, you know, I was, you know, you could order a carbon fiber hood from me on eBay or something, right? Like I had all that stuff set up, little business. Wasn't like su- su- I mean, I was successful in that I learned a lot from it wasn't successful in like uh, became a, a big name brand or anything. Um, so my dad had a seizure and in California, they take away your driver's license for six months or a year when you have a seizure. And at the time I was doing sales for AT&T and um, my dad had this situation come up and, you know, he's basically needing to get to his classes because he literally was getting paid to teach people how to use, you know, eBay, which just, Insane to think about now because it's it's so simple to those of us that are in sneakers, especially. But there's so many people out there that didn't know what they were doing. But like the Internet was fairly new, you know, 20 something years ago. So um, because of that, I quit my job and I basically became one of my an employee for my dad. Uh, you know, it turned into me just being a, a, essentially a driver. I would take him to his meetings and I would take him to his classes that he was teaching sit in the back of the classroom and help them, you know, do things. Um, and eventually, like, you know, I, I just got bored of doing that. And I would spend my time writing. And I wrote a story, I eventually got to the point of writing, like, why I got in sneakers. I never really finished that story. But essentially, it was like the the true blue and threes and the Jordan military fours. I always love those because I never saw kids at school with them. I always I'd see them at the mall if I got to go to the mall or something or in the catalogs, but I never saw those shoes in person. So those were always the ones I wanted when I was a kid um, because everybody wore bull stuff. And I did too, but I was just like, oh, I just, I'd rather have the ones that look different. I didn't, I didn't really think much of it then. Um, you know, but later on, I would eventually pick up those shoes and kind of feel that same way. But anyway, like I take this story, I moved with a girlfriend at the time down to Austin, Texas, and I look on uh, Craigslist. I had actually gotten a job working on cars. It's like Sunday night, one in the morning. And I'm like, I'm just going to look one more time and see if there's anything on Craigslist before I go. Because it's not that I don't love working on cars, but it's a, it's a grind, right? The job itself is a grind. And uh, there's a post basically says, if you know about sneakers and you know how to write, you know, we want to hear from you kind of thing. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. I'm sending, like, I I literally took, like, when I moved to Texas, I literally went with a bag, like a duffel and a a carry-on and a duffel bag. And I took, back then, you know, this is how old I am, but back then I didn't have space on my laptop. So I had to take what I would do and put it on a hard drive after I was done working on it and then move things to the laptop to work on them at that time. And uh, I moved that story onto my laptop To for the move, because I was like, well, if I don't get a job, I'm going to finish this story while in between, it'll be a good break from like job hunting and all that. So I sent like this three, four page half finished, you know, story to this random Craigslist ad. And it turns out that it was nice kicks. And like, literally like within 20 minutes of me sending it, I get a reply email saying, Hey, can you come to an interview the next day? So I, did not go to the job that I had in the automotive world, let it go, I went to the interview instead, uh, you know, it turned out to be Matt Halfhill and his ex-wife, Allison. Uh, you know, and I was just like, look, th- this is why I'm here. Like, I didn't even know this existed, but like, you can see what I do in my free time, you know, like, the, I, I need this job, right? Um, and so that was kind of my first entry into sneakers. Uh, you know, it was right when, when Matt's, you know, kind of started the blog, nice kicks uh you know so i started the same day as george keel greg grovey and peter sim we were kind of the four hires for nice kicks first employees you know it's like the the beginning of sneaker media essentially um you know complex was still trying to figure out how to do sneakers at that time but they hadn't really they it wasn't really a big part of what they were doing because they were so focused on the magazine they hadn't really looked at online um but yeah that was that was my my entry into the world as a a professional in the sneaker space at
0: least i'm sure you could tell hours and days of stories about your time at nice kicks and and complex and so on but what you just talked about the sort of beginning of sneaker media and what you guys were doing at nice kicks can you can you kind of take us from there to where we are now and why you created sneaker history
1: yeah, so, so at that time, at Nice Kicks, um, you know, so this is like, I think 2007 or 2000, 2008, maybe. Um, you know, there wasn't like, Nike wasn't sending out press releases. Nike didn't have its own blog. Uh, you know, nobody really had that stuff. Like we were all trying to figure out what the internet was gonna look like in terms of like commerce, you know, because I think there was a lot of hesitation prior to that, because you had the, the kind of bubble of, of dot-coms where, you know, places like Webvan and, you know, like these, like, startups that just disappeared because everybody's like, ah, oh, the internet's not going to actually work. And with sneakers, you didn't have, like, a lot of, you know, there was very few PR people. Like, the PR people dealt with, like, real media. So, you know, it, as, an, as a blog, you didn't have the access to things. So we would hunt down, you know... Like we would literally kind of hack the back, back end site of, of Nike or Adidas in hopes that we could just pick a skew that would work and we would end up pulling up photos and then talking about the shoe and, you know, when when it was coming out and all that stuff. And most of the time it was just luck, you know, in those early days. Then as, as it progressed, you know, I, I worked, uh, so I left Nice Kicks probably after a year and a half or so, maybe, t- maybe two years, I lived, lived in Austin. Um, kind of moved back to California, ended up working for Soul Collector for a few years. Um, you know, kind of that started, that kind of opened up a lot of opportunities for me because like with Nice Kicks, I was I was basically cranking out blog posts. We didn't do a whole lot of in-depth stuff. We did do some, some really good reviews back in the day. But when I got to Soul Collector, uh, nobody wanted to go up to Wisconsin because it was cold. And everybody was like, I don't want to deal with it. Like they don't, it's East Bay, they don't get it. For those that don't know, East Bay is, is headquartered in Wasau, Wisconsin. Um, so I took on the responsibility of like being their kind of liaison to what we were doing. So we ended up building the East Bay blog. Like there was no there was no blog at that time on any of the you know, pillars or or even like Nike or, or Adidas. Like back then you were building the entire site, you weren't building you weren't thinking about. Like repetitive content or new content on a daily basis, so I ended up like basically managing that partnership. Uh, you know, establishing the East Bay blog. You know, you can go look and it. The early days are terrible. We just took a picture from the site, we put blog.eastbay.com on it, and like that was a blog post. But that kind of spun into a lot of other opportunities because you you could see that like the world is just like just evolving right there in front of you in terms of sneaker content and. So I ended up taking that, going to Complex, um, let's see, I I guess a few years later. And, you know, at that time, there was no at Complex sneakers. It was all just Complex. So, like, I mean, I remember signing up for those things for Complex. And, like, on my own personal phone, like, okay, well, we need a, a Twitter for the sneakers account. We need an Instagram for the, you know like all of those things were just non-existent. So you can kind of see this expansion of of how content was going from, you know, just this, like, let's just figure out a way to get something out there for people to see where everybody's going to the blogs for their information to now, you know, when I got to Complex, we're like thinking, okay, we need page views. We need these big stories. We need big lists. We need, you know, at times controversy, right? Like you're trying to kind of You know, create the standard for what if sneakers could become the whole magazine of complex, the actual physical magazine, that's what we want to do, but we want to put it on the internet. And, you know, I think that kind of, for better or worse, like a lot of people didn't like some of the content that we did back then because we were creating like opinionated things. And I think that's, you know, I think that's been the struggle more recently where everything has moved to social media. So, you don't have a healthy discourse when it comes to like the, the what you're speaking about, right? And at Complex, we were always trying to do that, right? And it was me and Russ Bankston and, you know, I think, let's see, Dexter Gordon was there. Brandon Edler was writing for us. You know, he still had a full-time job. So he was doing that, you know, on top of it. And, you know, a lot of people throughout the years that that, you know, contributed, but Russ and I were always kind of, oops, sorry. Russ and I were kind of always, uh, you know, very specific in the stories that we would tell. We're like, look, if we're making fun of you, we're in the same boat. We're making fun of ourselves, right? We realize how ludicrous it is that we talk about sneakers to a level of detail that 95% of the world does not care at all. Like, Like, what are you talking about, you know? But when you find those people that want to talk about that to that extent, those are your new best friends, right? Like that's like, okay, this is where we're going with this. So that kind of expanded into, you know, other opportunities and Finish Line had been kind of calling for a little while. And I I never really wanted to work on like the business side of it because I didn't want to take away from my relationships with people on other brands. So like, if I go to Finish Line, you know, I can't be friends. Not not that I can't be friends, but like, I don't have like the same opportunity to work with, let's say a brand like S or skateboarding or, or Lakai or something because they don't carry skate shoes. Or, you know, I can't talk at that time, Finish Line wasn't even carrying foam posits. So like, here's this super important shoe coming back out and, you know, Foot Locker has the exclusive on it. So I was always hesitant to, to do that. I'm still hesitant to like actually get a job at a specific brand because I just, I love the the, the big picture of everything so much and, and I love watching how it all comes together. But um, at that point, you know, Finish Line, had been actually, you know, trying to do a blog that had been outsourced to somebody. And we were like, let's just bring it in house. Let's, let's do it all. Like, we'll take it. I went and worked with a photo team in Indy. I was living in Boulder at the time. And that kind of was the first time I think I, a, a retailer actually got it right. We had people there that understood this is much bigger. We could do photo shoots. We can do interviews. We can do video. We can do all this type of content that is eventually going to drive a lot of business to, to, to finish line. Um, and, you know, we, we definitely had a, a really successful run and, and they had a really successful run even after I left. Um, but it, it, it evolved again, right. Where, you know, at this point, you know, content from brands almost needs to be a hundred percent outsourced. And, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that, they that, the brands or the or the retailers really fully understand that. Um, but it's a, it's an interesting place to be because it creates a lot of opportunity for creative people, you know, and, and, you know, like you guys up there in Canada, get it better than anybody else, right? You guys are all working, you know, together on some projects, you know, you're, you're constantly up in each other's stuff. Like you see people that are like, get a deal here. And then the next person gets a deal for this. And like, that's the beauty of where we're at. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of cattiness in the, in the United States when it comes to sneakers. So there's a lot of this, Oh, well you took this opportunity from me. And it's like, if you don't think there's enough opportunity for everybody in a business. That's, you know, I don't know, $300 billion now, like, especially if you include the aftermarket stuff, right? Like this, this, this industry is, is like as big as anything on the planet, you know, aside from automotive and oil businesses or something, right. Or healthcare. Well, maybe not up there, but
0: yeah, it's just a, it's just a crazy thing. So take us forward. I know we skipped a, skipped quite a bit to sneaker history.
1: Yeah. So sneaker history kind of just became a way for, you know, seeing how the partnerships worked between brands and and media. Um, it, it came from one, me being a little frustrated that we always had to talk about certain things, you know, um, Nike has a shoe coming out. They want you to talk about it. And I think that's great. I think that's important. I understand how that works. But also, like, I like this pair of basics, you know, or whatever that is. So, with, with a finish line or a complex or any of these places that I've worked, the people that are paying for that partnership or content get priority. And the people that have the money to pay are always Nike and Jordan, you know, occasionally Adidas. But for me, it was always a way for me to kind of have a voice without having to filter it in any way or, you know, um, you know, just, I didn't want to compete with who's first with the information. Cause I just don't think that that's sustainable by any means. It takes a lot to pay attention, all that stuff. So it, it started as just a way for me to have a place to, to write about the things that I wanted to write about, kind of talk about shoes that didn't get enough, uh, exposure in my opinion. Um, because if you're, if you're at a business, you know, you've got to measure that. It's all made based on analytics. So if, if they don't do the numbers, you don't do the, the stories, you know, and, and that means that your favorite skate shoes can only be Nike SBs. Cause otherwise most people don't know that skateboarding exists outside of Nike SB for some reason, you know, like I'm being a little facetious there, but it's, it's definitely how it feels. So that started, boy, probably like 20, I mean, probably like 2012 or 2013 in my head, um, and getting all the stuff. And I didn't officially do anything with it until probably 2015. And it's always kind of been a side thing for me. Um, when I I worked for StockX for a couple of years in Detroit, and at the beginning of StockX, I was employee number eight or nine. And you know, I kind of put sneaker history on the back burner. Uh, the original conversation with Josh, who, who I I'd, I'd known for years anyway, um, was that he was just going to buy a sneaker history and roll it into StockX. But again, like it's, that's not what it was about for me. Like I wasn't, I didn't have like paid employees. I, you know, paid freelancers occasionally if I could, and everybody was doing it because I just, everybody was doing it because it, it potentially gave them an, a way to get into conversation with brands or, or people in the industry that they wanted to talk to. And that's kind of always been my approach. Like, I don't, I'd rather have it be a real meaningful connection and have people really, truly passionate, you know, as a part of it, than to say, hey, let's go make a bunch of money with it. And, you know, with sneaker history, you know, that's kind of evolved into, you know, the guys didn't really want to do the podcast originally, but it was like, okay, I, I, so interesting thing enough is, sorry. The interesting thing about the podcast is that I wanted to do a podcast at complex as complex sneakers in like 2012 or whatever it was when I was there. Um, because I'm a huge podcast listener. Like I'm a, I'm like, plug me into the matrix. I turn it up to two and a half or three times speed. Like people think I'm on drugs or something, but like, that's just how I am. I just love the information. Just give me more. So I've been a huge fan of podcasts for a really long time. And you know, obviously at the time, you know, complex back then was still trying to figure out if they should be on YouTube. They were doing their own platform for video and like, you know, podcasts were just not on the radar. It wasn't a thing. And, you know, thinking back, it would have been a struggle to keep it going, you know, if it had worked. But when I started thinking about the podcast, I was doing the outside the box stuff, um, with Tiffany and Jacques. And it was like, well, they were, they didn't have the time to stay consistent with it. So, um, I'm like, okay, well, let's just do a sneaker history one. I can make sure that I have time and you know, if we have two or three guys with me, then we can rotate through and like always have content coming out. So I mean that's that didn't even start until 2018 or 2019. you know, like it's not it's fairly new still when I think about it, but it's been really successful. We just are starting to put like advertising out there and like make it an official thing. Um, which is a, a struggle for me because I always just had it as this passion project. And if, if money gets involved and in, in makes it something that I don't enjoy anymore, like I definitely have a concern for that. But at the same time, I'm like, I spend a lot of time working on it. Um, we do a lot of stuff and, and it, it feeds things into other things, you know, sneaker history brings people to the event that, you know, the sneaker combos event, right. Um, which, you know, that all of, that's kind of the same approach that I take with the other business that I have is like stature is like essentially providing these services for people whether you're uh, whether you want to be somebody that's putting out content and you want somebody else to bring in partnerships and try to do brand deals for you we have like a couple of people that work on that um you know content for I love writing still so like you know I'll do emails for for multiple companies a week hang on um, sorry about that i will do you know, I'll do like emails and, and set up stuff for people that want to do newsletters and, you know, have sneaker related content or sports related content, or, you know, like kind of expand on a lot of that stuff. But, um, you know, to me, it's just like, whatever the, it sounds funny, but it's, it's more like, it's more important for me to find somebody that I like, that I enjoy spending time with, to work with them. So the business is, it's public you know, like the business is there, but I'm very selective about who I work with because I don't want to bring negativity into my life at this point. I'm, you know, trying to, I'm trying to enjoy every little bit that I can. So if I still enjoy working with somebody that's got a business that makes sense for me to be a partner in or, you know, a a contracted employee and whatever that looks like for them, then then it works. But then I also bring in people from, you know, freelancers that might want to work on a project that you know maybe you need a little bit more a little bit more cloud or awareness to to kind of seal the deal on something. And we kind of use the business as that to to kind of negotiate and and you know um, just just have a bigger presence, right? Cause sometimes one of the things that I always ran into when I first started freelancing, you know, 10, 10 15 years ago, you probably know it's like it's it's incredibly difficult to to find consistent work if, if you're just a freelancer and sometimes, you know, you're well more qualified than the person that got it, but that person is sitting at an agency or sitting at a, you know, a, a group that, that has that in inside access. So we kind of look at it as a way to, for the, the few of us that are involved to always bring in interesting partnerships and businesses to, to work with. Um, you know, thankfully it's, it's, I mean, it's still, been tight the last you know six to nine months but like thankfully it's still moving I think in the right direction to where the idea there needs to be like you know needs to be refined a little bit I think in terms of like moving to a a virtual space versus being physically in you know like for instance for me being in LA I can talk to anybody at any time so that was definitely um, that's kind of the, the challenge of where we're at with it but I think that it I think it all kind of circles back to like Sneaker history was just a place for me to share my thoughts, hopefully educate people. I would bring in people that had never written ever before, right? I think you and I talked years ago about about it, right? And like, I wasn't paying anybody, but the people that don't have your experience and just need to put their byline someplace. And it's like, okay, let's walk you through this. It might take me a month or two for you to understand little nuances about writing that, you know, it's, it's not a big deal, but it's the difference between somebody reading something and saying, hey, this makes sense versus i forgot about that and don't think about this person ever again so um so sneaker history is like the one part and then stature kind of became the business that that serves the the purpose and sneaker history brings people into my life and then as we grow and work on things we figure out hey you know what's a cool thing to do let's do some cool stuff together you know so
0: yeah and obviously lots of opportunities you talked about partnerships there and it it makes me think of the sneaker market itself because so much is happening whether it's a flood of releases, partnerships, aven- investments and, and ventures. I'm wondering if you try to keep up or just do your best. Is, is it impossible these days? I, I know I find it hard to and I don't focus so much on releases. I, I try and look at the bigger picture and you know n- not the latest collab and, and more understanding of, of what's you know what's the top-down view. How, how do you manage
1: Uh, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, you know, a a variety of things. Like I I spend less time on social media than I ever have, but I probably listen to more podcasts um, and read more emails than I ever have. So I would say, you know, podcasts are, are, are great. You know, if you can, if you can find people that you enjoy listening to, you know, like you might not talk about releases, but you know, I i listen listened to, I've listened to a few of your episodes. I, I basically rotate through, right. I try to, I try to stay up on everybody's. I can't listen to everybody's, but for instance, I listened to your, your son's episode, whenever that was a little ways back, I listened to the most recent one. Um, but then like, I'll go and listen to, you know, the Canada got soul guys, or, you know, like I'm fascinated by, by Sean's, you know, one man podcast. Like I, I don't want to create a daily sneaker podcast, but I would love that. Like if, if there was just a, Hey, this is the, the 20 minute news brief of sneakers. That would be an amazing thing. But I also think that it would be, you know, I like getting the the variety of information, right? Because people have different opinions. And if you listen to only complex sneakers, you're going to have completely different view on what sneakers are and what's important versus listening to, you know, let's say a Kusto or somebody on YouTube that does something, you know, they have totally different values and purpose behind their content. So for me, it's, it's just a mix of things. I kind of treat it as much as uh, I, I, I wouldn't want to, as much as I wouldn't want to bring up politics, I kind of treat it like politics, right? Like I'd rather listen to somebody that I completely don't believe about anything and at least understand where they're coming from, because it gives me a better idea of like the back and forth that, that exists. Um, and then, you know, yeah, emails are, are also pretty big. Um, uh, like, I think Mike Sykes does a, a, a newsletter. His newsletter is definitely one of the things I read. I also, you know, write a newsletter for Sneaker Throne, which, you know, that is in itself is a good way for me to stay on top of things because it gives me that like, okay, here's a few hours of my week that I'm going to dedicate to kind of searching through and filtering through the information that's out there. And um, it's kind of fun too because it also gives me a way to kind of, introduce people to things you know it's it's really more of a uh you know like a let's say it's like more industry versus releases like we definitely i definitely you know i'm doing releases in there um but for them specifically you know the guys behind it are are like they love my writing so like my newsletter kind of transitioned into their newsletter because it just made sense for me to do it there versus do, trying to like build my own thing at the moment um so yeah, I guess like podcasts and, and emails are probably the, the two things that I you know mainly because if you go to Instagram or Twitter or something, you see the same thing posted thirty times and it's like I just I don't wanna
0: I don't need to see that like you know. So it's funny you mentioned the daily a daily sneaker podcast I, I I thought of that before too, and I think there's totally an opening and i 'm surprised podcast uh, complex hasn 't done it or or one of the other major major sneaker sites hasn't and I know Jacques does some or has done something sort of similar, but not not, not exactly here 's your ten minutes in sneakers, uh, but I do think that there's you know still there might be a ton of sneaker podcasts and 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 sneaker media everywhere, but I do think there's still opportunity for things people to find new new ways and new ways to come together like you talked about and 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 do creative things because uh you know it's obviously blowing up and and people people want to find something different there there's a lot of the same and you know people like you and and your team and and um you know some of the people you mentioned and of course i'm trying to do that is 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 offer something different and um and fun yeah
1: totally agree i mean it's as much as like the release parts of sneakers is really frustrating in the last year or two, the industry as a whole and the opportunity that exists is still unbelievable. Like if you want to get a job in sneakers, it's out there. And that's the craziest part to me because as a kid, I had no clue what any of that was. I had no clue. It was like, as a kid, you could be the CEO of Nike. You could be a designer like Tinker, or you could work in a store and that's all you thought existed. And now it's, you know, 50 brands, it's, you know, 20 retailers, it's 20 more, you know, consignment resale shops, like the the whole industry is just totally opportunity to me. And, uh, you know, kind of got to step back and, and like, not have my sneakerhead hat on to realize that sometimes, because, you know, like, even like the South Beach LeBron, it's like, okay, yeah, it's frustrating, you know, like, can get them i would love to have a pair of those you know but it is what it is like i just there's so many other great shoes out there that i can you know enjoy and not have to fight people to get so
0: and of course you know when it comes to sneaker history i know you guys have built a great community i talk to Robbie all the time and and i know you have loyal listeners and and pe- people who support you guys on patreon and you know, in addition to the community, you, you talked about, we, we talked a little bit about the last year or two, and how the importance of community and, and people coming together, people getting to know each other. And that's what Sneaker Dads is all about this podcast, you know, I can do it without, without people coming on and sharing their story. So you know, while we, while we knew each other before this, um, it's great to have you on and and hear your story. Some of them, maybe I've I've heard elsewhere, but some definitely new ones and and learn about you and and your story and and almost more importantly, your perspective, because I I think it's super valuable. And, uh, and uh, I'm sure my listeners will be happy to hear what you have to say. And I'm fortunate to have you on. So I have to thank you.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Definitely.
0: All the best. We'll keep in touch and uh, hopefully we can get some more sneaker convos or something else going together.
1: Yeah, hopefully another one by the end of the
0: year. I'll, I'll keep you in the loop for sure. Thanks, Nick. All right. Later. Big thanks to Nick, who you can find at Nick Engvall, as well as Sneaker History, both on Instagram and Twitter. It was a great conversation. You can find me at John Ratner on Twitter, Heads Ain't Ready on Instagram, Sneaker Dads is on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as at sneakerdads.com. That's where you can find a variety of gear, including official New Era hats, if any are left. We'll be back with the big two-part episode next week, something a bit different, but a guest I'm sure everyone wants to hear more from. Thanks for listening. Later.